Hello, and welcome to this episode. I want to begin by thanking the many listeners and subscribers now in 57 countries. It has been so very exciting to watch the number grow, so thank you. If you're enjoying the podcast, please spread the word. Share the link with your teacher colleagues. Rate the podcast. Check out my website at edmunddaw.com. There's a contact page on the website. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. For listeners in the Northern Hemisphere, I hope your summer's gone well, that you've found some time for vacation, time to relax and re-energize before beginning another teaching year. The difficulties of the pandemic have eased in some places and intensified in others, so there are undoubtedly still some challenging weeks and months ahead. This episode is entitled Dialogue with Parents, that very important relationship between you and the parents of your students, the two-way conversation, the dialogue that begins when they first contact you about lessons for their child, but a relationship that is ongoing and vital to your student's success. I use the word dialogue for specific reason. Let me read you a quote, and I quote, Dialogue engages people in building their understanding of an issue without the pressure to make decisions or to be right, unquote. This quote is from the ASCD, the Association of Supervision and Curriculum Development, and it's a membership nonprofit organization in the field of education founded many years ago in the 1940s, It has more than 125,000 members in 128 countries, and it includes teachers, school principals, superintendents, education professors, and other educators. And the ASCD is dedicated to excellence in learning, teaching, and leading so that every child is healthy, safe, engaged, supported, and challenged. So yes, this ongoing dialogue with parents is important. Because we know as piano teachers that the home environment, the parenting style, and the parent-child relationships have a significant impact on early childhood learning and development overall. There have been numerous studies on that topic. There have also been studies on the influence of parents in their child's musical development when children start to play and learn to play a musical instrument. And there's one specific study in music instruction that I found very interesting, an article in the journal Psychology of Music. The article is by Gary McPherson and entitled The Role of Parents in Children's Musical Development. I want to begin by reading a short excerpt from the introduction. I quote, Beginning at a young age, children develop resilient attitudes, beliefs, and expectations about their potential to learn music that have been instilled in them through interactions with their parents. Parents are critical to a child's ongoing success in all areas of their education, and this is particularly true in music, a subject that involves particularly high demands. Let me read the first part of that again. Beginning at a young age, children develop resilient attitudes, beliefs, and expectations about their potential to learn music that have been instilled in them through interactions with their parents. Well, as we know, parents play a significant role, a very significant role, positive or otherwise, in the musical development of their children. As I've stated in other episodes, throughout my career I've been very active as a piano examiner and music festival adjudicator, and I've had the privilege of hearing many, many students from the studios of many excellent teachers. 
One of these teachers in Atlantic Canada that I got to know quite well over the years did consistent, outstanding work in her studio. Some of her students would come to me for occasional lessons, and several decided to pursue music degrees at university, and I taught them for their, un- their four-year undergraduate degree programs. Each one of her students was a joy and privilege to teach. Now, yes, they came with different levels of talent and different career aspirations, but I was always struck by their maturity, their strong work ethic, and excellent attitude, their openness to criticism, and striving to grow as musicians, and grow they did. How respectful they were, not only in our teacher-student interactions, but also thoughtful, respectful, and kind towards each other and other students in the weekly master classes. They were great students to work with. So I once asked this teacher, how do you audition your students? I was curious, how, how do you select them? Because I commented again on their consistent, fine qualities, what I often refer to as teachable qualities. Because some students, as we all know, can be very difficult to teach for a wide variety of reasons. She replied, well, yes, I meet the student with the parents for the first time. I talk to the child to try to determine the child's level of interest in taking lessons and maybe do some sort of an ear test or something to determine the child's musical aptitude. But, she said, most importantly, what I'm actually doing is auditioning the parents. I'm auditioning the parents. I'm talking to them. I'm hearing their perspectives. I'm asking them questions. In the end, do I feel that they will be the loving, supportive, encouraging, respectable, respectful, and dependable parents, the type of parents I need on the teacher-student-parent team? So she said, I don't just select my students. I, quote-unquote, audition my parents. We see most of our elementary-age students for 30 minutes a week perhaps also in an occasional group class. The rest of the time, the students at home with family under the supervision of their parents. So the role of the parent and the home environment are crucial. And it's important that parents provide the love, guidance, support, and encouragement that the children need. So talking about that dialogue with parents. The dialogue begins with the first meeting, or perhaps it's a phone call or an email from a parent asking about piano lessons for their child. And then you schedule a first meeting. I want to say that the first impression you make on parents is very important. There have been many, many studies on first impressions. Some very interesting books written on the subject. How quickly first impressions can be formed and how lasting they can be. Making a good first impression with the parents is important for the relationship going forward. And it is important that they see you as a qualified, dedicated professional who is passionate about teaching and working with their child. And that they leave the meeting with a sense that when their child shows up for a weekly 30-minute lesson, the child is going to feel that those 30 minutes are the most important 30 minutes in your week. Creating the respect and building the trust are essential from the outset and important for ongoing productive dialogue. Now, when we meet parents for the first time, most private teachers have a studio policy document, and they should. And we explain it and we give it to the parents at the initial meeting. It's about the business of your studio the number of lessons, the schedule, the lesson fee payment structure, the lesson cancellation policy, the purchasing music, the method book that will be used. Well, let me ask you another question. Have you ever written a one or two page teaching philosophy statement as a document to start with in the meeting before talking about studio policy? A one or two page teaching philosophy statement, putting into writing 
who you are, what you do, why you're passionate about it, and why you believe it is important and valuable. Your pedagogical goals, what you can offer students, what drew you to the piano, what is your training, why are piano lessons so important, why do you love it? I would encourage every private teacher to prepare a written teaching philosophy statement as a short document to present to parents first before you talk about studio policy. But let me say that writing a teaching philosophy statement is not easy. During my 32 years of university teaching, 17 years were spent at Mount Allison University and 11 at the University of Manitoba. At both universities, whenever a faculty member applied for tenure or promotion, one of the requirements was that the application materials had to include a concise one or two page teaching philosophy statement. Consistently, faculty members said that writing that teaching philosophy statement was the most difficult part of the application. I felt exactly the same way when I prepared my application materials for tenure and promotion. It took a lot of thought, writing, revising to prepare a concise, clear statement of my teaching goals and objectives, stating my goals, my philosophy concisely and clearly and in an inspiring way, telling people who I am as a teacher. But this is something that can be extremely useful for your parents to have and to establish a foundation of respect right from the outset. An actual physical document that they can take away with them that defines you as a teacher. There's an excellent book by Dr. Janine Jacobson entitled Professional Piano Teaching. And in there she includes a section on developing a teaching philosophy. She talks about your goals as a teacher might include teaching the love of music and music making, the love of the process of learning music, the joy of musical communication, develop in students the desire for lifelong skills. Then she also goes through a whole list of questions you might ask to help develop your teaching philosophy statement. Who will you teach? Who makes the curriculum decisions? Will there be variety in the teaching format? What are the teaching standards? What will materials and repertoire how will they be chosen and studied? What is the scope of the curriculum? What reading approach is used? What is the approach to technique? What are the practice requirements? What is your view concerning parental involvement, etc.? So Dr. Jacobson provides an excellent section and valuable ideas and questions that could potentially be important parts of a teaching philosophy statement and a studio policy document. But here are some other thoughts or talking points we can use as teachers. Other ideas to guide the initial and future conversations with parents. Number one, first and foremost, I believe parents need to know and remember, and they'll probably have to be reminded about this from time to time, that investing in piano lessons is more than just registering for piano lessons. It's investing in their child's future. It's a big moment, something to celebrate. And to know that their role is to support, encourage, and guide their child. That at this stage in the process, in the beginning lessons, for most children, you can't really know how talented the child is at that point. But that the child's interest in learning is the most important factor here. More important than trying to determine the degree of talent. And encouragement is the key so that playing the piano will become a natural part of the daily routine of the child and in your home. Another thing to think about and to remind parents of is that there are numerous important and exciting benefits apart from the musical benefits when you learn to play an instrument. Most children start taking piano lessons in the early elementary school grades. I started when I was in grade one. In the early years of elementary school is when the vast majority of children will sign up for private lessons. 
If you look online, there are many, many examples of statements about the goals and objectives of elementary education. You can look on specific school websites, government websites, all over the world. But what's interesting is that when you compare them, there are numerous similarities in these statements and goals. As I said, from all over the world, and, in the, and the exciting thing is that private music lessons help fulfill many of these objectives. Objectives like developing enjoyment of learning, developing critical thinking and logical judgment, self-discipline, aesthetic values and appreciation of other cultures, developing talent, promoting social responsibility and making good productive use of leisure time. One statement I loved from a website in Kenya was that one of the goals of primary education is to teach children about, and I quote, the dignity of work. This is one of the most amazing ways I've ever seen this worded, that by studying a musical instrument, children are learning that there is dignity in work. So along the way, as the student is learning and progressing, there are many things to celebrate in addition to musical progress. There are also many government sources documenting more specifically the benefits of learning to play a musical instrument, benefits that strongly link music with other subject areas in school and the overall development of students. One of my favorites is published by the government of Australia, where the, the website talks about brain growth. Studies in neuroscience show that music can enhance brain function in children. Musical activities stimulate the brain, and this brain workout leads to improved brain structure with the formation of new neural connections. There's language skills. Studies have shown that young children who participate in music classes have improved speech development and learn to read more easily. Math skills. Music can help with the development of math skills. Memory, attention, and concentration. Recent studies have shown that people who are tr musically trained have better working memory skills, helping them to remember things even while their minds are busy with other matters. These are important aspects of mental arithmetic and reading comprehension. There's the idea of increased coordination. Just like playing sports and dancing, music helps children develop their motor skills. There's achievement and discipline. Learning music teaches children to work towards short-term goals, develop routine, and practice self-discipline. Social skills, making music with other people. Learning to work together as a team and developing their sense of empathy with others. There's the joy of music, that music can give children a way to express themselves, to unleash their creativity, to be inspired and uplifted. Then there's the idea of music for life. You study an instrument and you carry that with you for the rest of your life. If you don't become a professional musician, you go to concerts. You see the value and importance of the arts. So these are all important considerations to have in your ongoing dialogue with parents. During my university years, I can think of many students who completed a Bachelor of Music degree as a first degree and then went on to further studies in areas such as medicine, law, business, in Manitoba, I specifically remember the deans of other faculties saying to me, could you please send us more of those music students? They have so many incredible qualities, work ethic, creativity and critical thinking, self-expression, memorization, the ability to work effectively independently or as part of a team, the ability to take criticism and learn and improve from it, the ability to work and perform under pressure, their self-confidence, self-esteem and poise. So for many, many reasons, investing in piano lessons is an investment in a child's future.
Then, of course, there are the incredible musical benefits of playing an instrument, learning different styles, musical skills, developing the ear. Musical skills and exposure that will be a lifetime of enjoyment. Family enjoyment of performances, concerts. If a parent plays or a sibling, there are opportunity for duets. So these are points all part of an ongoing dialogue, but how do the parents fit in? As I've said already, the parents need to be a source of support and encouragement by providing the good instrument and opportunities for daily practice. They also need to be open to their child being exposed to a wide range of musical styles and to acknowledge and praise improvement, to attend concerts together, try to get the child to make a minimum commitment. Many, many articles say try to make a minimum two-year commitment to, musical, to music lessons. Giving the child opportunity to play for others so that playing music becomes a normal, natural part of the home life. And parents also need to, need to be reminded that progress at the beginning might seem slow, but be patient. They are still learning a lot in those early lessons. And if there's ever a question or a concern, to contact the teacher immediately. These are all important aspects and considerations for talking points. And I do encourage you to write a teaching philosophy statement, one or two pages, and review it with parents and give them a copy to take home. This is a very important part of the first impression you will make on parents. Now, as a brief aside here, I would also add, strongly recommend that you have a friend, preferably a non-musician friend, read your teaching philosophy statement and your studio policy document to ensure that it makes sense to a non-musician. Because you see, we get so used to speaking our language of music, of piano and piano teaching, that we sometimes forget that many people do not. And we might write something that could seem perfectly clear to us, but might not make quite as much sense to the parent. So proofreading is highly recommended. And in connection with the idea of proofreading and making a first impression, let me share with you a personal experience when I did not make such a good first impression. Many, many years ago, I was a member of a trio for about 17 years. All three of us had full-time university teaching positions. So when it came to performing opportunities, there were just limited periods of time during the year when we could go away and perform because of our full-time teaching commitments at the university. So we didn't have an agent. We divided up the administrative work amongst ourselves. So we would try to book concerts a year or two in advance. And on one occasion, we had a concert booked in Windsor, Ontario. Now, these are this is in the days when word processing on computers, that was still a fairly new thing. We formed a group back in 1986. And so it was quite a development for all of us when you could type a document on a word processor and the idea of spell check, or you could write a document and the computer would find the spelling errors. So we had this concert in Windsor, Ontario. When I was talking to the artistic director there, he said to me, you know, there's a concert series across the bridge in Detroit, and um, you should contact them because there might be a possibility of getting a concert with them while you're here next year. So he gave me the contact information, the address for the Detroit Performing Arts Society, and I prepared a letter and I sent it off. And our normal procedure was, back in the day, send off a letter and a couple of weeks later, allow time for the letter to arrive, and a couple of weeks later, make a phone call and have a conversation to see if something might be possible. So a couple of weeks later, I make a phone call to the contact person at the Detroit Performing Arts Society, and, and I was 
kind of a little thrown off that this person wasn't overly friendly and I had said at the beginning introduced myself and said you know I sent you a letter and she said yes I received your letter and so I was talking to her about our program and what we were doing in, in Windsor and as I was talking to her I had my copy of the letter in front of me and I glanced up at the top left and I looked into my shock I had addressed it to the Detroit Performing Rats Society so I had done a spell check, and of course there were no spelling errors because rats is a word, and I did not have one of my colleagues proofread it, which I should have done. And uh, needless to say, that did not make a very good first impression with the folks in Detroit, and uh, we did not get a concert there. So that's one thing that has always stayed with me, and I'd always share that story with my students in my pedagogy course when they'd write an essay, and I'd say, please have somebody proofread it, have a friend proofread it, and make sure you you know, you don't have any silly mistakes, and I would always share that story, and it's a true one. So, that's those are my thoughts on your side of the dialogue, but as I said, it's a two-way conversation. What about the parents? Well, on numerous occasions in this podcast, I have quoted Francis Clark, one of the greatest teachers and authors of the 20th century. And one of her famous lines was, and I quote, Teaching is more than telling. Teaching is more than telling. Well, good teaching involves careful observation, deep and intensive listening and analysis of your students as they play, using your diagnostic skills to figure out the next steps, the best practice techniques, and so on. And often that doesn't end at the lesson. When the student leaves, if they're struggling with something, we often carry that with us throughout the week, and we think about it in between lessons as to what we can possibly do. And when you meet a parent and a child for the first time, especially the first time, I would recommend that you apply those listening and observing skills that you use in teaching, because they can be very useful and important at that point. Sometimes when we meet parents, we can be too busy telling them things telling them about studio policy, to really listen, give them an opportunity to speak, and ask some important questions. Because hearing from them is very important. To get a sense from the parent, why do they feel their child should register for piano lessons? Has their child shown some specific indicators that made them think, okay, maybe piano lessons would be a good idea? Did the parents take lessons growing up? If so, what was their experience? What does a week in the life of their family look like? Are there many other extracurricular activities? What about a commitment to providing a good instrument? A good quiet space and scheduled practice time? How do they envision piano lessons progressing? What are their goals and desires for the child? To play for enjoyment? To progress through the various grade levels of examinations? To prepare for recitals and competitions? As you talk to the parents also, how would you describe your observations of the interactions between the parents and the child? This first meeting can give you some important foundation information and make a good starting point in this teacher-student-parent relationship. And these are some of the questions that could form the basis of an informative and very productive initial discussion. But the thing to remember after this initial meeting is that regular communication is critical. Phone calls, emails, a monthly e-newsletter or a quarterly newsletter, progress updates or reports at least once a year. 
Encourage the parents to contact you immediately, as I said, if they have any concerns. Some teachers have parents attend lessons. Some don't. It depends on the teacher, the parent, and, of course, the parent-child relationship. For some parents, perhaps it's better if the parent returns for the final five minutes of the lesson so you can talk about what was covered and recap the assignment for next lesson. Making sure that you mention the positive things that are to celebrate about that lesson. You know, it could be something as simple as it's the first day that you learn about staccato. So you have the child explain to the parent what staccato is and show them how to do it. And you explain to the parent that staccato is, is a very important articulation in music that the child will encounter over and over and over again. And you've got, there's cause to celebrate because they've learned how to do it in the lesson today and they'll use it for the rest of their lives. Communication can be something like writing words of praise and encouragement in a child's notebook that the child takes home. So whatever the setup is with each of your parents, those opportunities for communication are essential. And it's also important to remember that even if the parent is from a musical background, even if the parent took lessons, don't take things for granted because piano teaching has changed so much in the past 15 or 20 years in so many ways. New method books, much more varied repertoire, music in popular styles, computer-assisted instruction, um, specific approaches for different types of learners or age groups. There's so much new in, in the field of piano teaching that the parent might not be aware of. But the fact remains that the musical growth and development of your students will be influenced greatly by the type of support and encouragement they receive at home in the days between lessons. What they receive at home will depend on the parents' knowledge and understanding of their role. So stay in touch with your parents. It's a very important part of the student's development. And it's very important that the parents grow in their knowledge and understanding of what you're doing. So I wish you well in the months ahead in this teaching year. As I said at the beginning, if you're enjoying the podcast, please spread the word. Check out my website at edmunddaw.com. There's a contact page. I'd love to hear from you. So I wish you all the very best, and thank you for listening. Bye for now.